0: When I was originally preparing this series, that was a while ago, I had originally intended that this would be one lesson, and as I was studying this week in preparation for this lesson, I still had in mind, I'm just going to do one lesson on families, we're going to do it. Just We did womanhood, we did manhood, we did thinking, and we're going to do one on lessons on families. But as I studied it more and I developed the outline and we're doing stuff, I just couldn't fit everything in one lesson. So this is the first in a two-part series, mini-series, on God's intent for the family. And remember, we're, we're thinking about our, our thesis for this series. That human life flourishes most when it operates the way God intends. That's what are, we're going for in just overall in this series, right? So we've considered how to think biblically. We've considered manhood. We've considered womanhood. The next logical place, of course, is families. God, how does God intend for families to operate? And when we think about the number of questions here. You can see why it had to expand beyond one lesson what should families look like? What is the goal of family formation? What, how do the individual members of a family fit together? How does this all go into uh, the way that God designs people to live? And so in this lesson, primarily, we're going to focus on God's stated intent for, quote unquote, the nuclear family, although that phrase has its own problems that we'll talk about towards the end of this lesson, but sort of the ideal, right? We're going to focus on in this lesson, the ideal that, that God has put forth for families and sort of the traditional way of thinking about families. And then next week, so you don't think that I've forgotten you, next week we're going to talk about families that already don't fit that mold for one reason or another. There's some reasons of choice that families don't fit this mold. Some are just matters of circumstance. Some have to do with ways we used to live before we became Christians. There's a whole host of things about that. But we're going to talk about those things next week. I just want, I want to be very clear about that. Today we're gonna talk about God's stated ideal for individual operation within the family. Next week, what if our family doesn't look like that? What do we do about that? How does that relate to our relationship with the church, our relationship to God? So we will talk about those things. God clearly had something in mind for families when he created us. This was not sort of an afterthought. This was sort of a baked in idea in the beginning of the human race as we think about God's intent here, the creation of the family. Genesis 1.28, God blessed them, this is of course Adam and Eve, right, and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, have a bunch of kids, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And you know, Genesis 1 is the broad overview of creation, Genesis 2 zooms way in, Genesis 2 zooms in on the creation of man and woman more specifically, And at the end of that, Genesis 2, 24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. The intended function of family formation, this intent at the very beginning of time, right? This is before sin has entered the world, before there's any imperfection or impurity. This is part of the baked-in design of, of human operation, And this is expanded on in the call of Abraham, this basic intent. When God talks about Abraham, he thinks about Abraham. And, of course, in this context, he's talking about what he's going to do to Sodom and Gomorrah and thinking about, you know, Abraham needs to be involved in this and needs to know what's going on. But the reason why is very important. Genesis 18, 17 through 19. The Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? That is, to Sodom and Gomorrah. Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great nation, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen him in part, this is not the only reason, but I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Uh, This idea that one of the reasons Abraham was chosen, and you can think about this more in the broad sense of the context of the Christian Uh, message throughout the Old Testament. You see it already, right? In him, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. That's through Christ, right? That's going to be through the sacrifice of Jesus. Lee talked a lot about that this morning. But the reason he called Abraham, Abraham was going to be faithful to convey that to his children, to command their children, all the way down leading to the nation of Israel eventually, and then leading to the arrival of Christ. The purpose of family in the beginning, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. For this reason, a man and woman, sh- uh, well, a woman shall leave her father and mother, be joined to her, her husband, right? This idea of the one flesh. Why? What was the point of that? Was so that people can learn about God in perpetuity, right? Deuteronomy 4, 9, one of the verses that we read this morning Only take care, keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. And not just about departing from your heart, but what? Make them known to your children and to your children's children. Proverbs 8, uh, one eight through nine. Hear my son your father's instruction and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. We can think about it in the New Testament. The same idea in the New Testament, right? Ephesians six one through four. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The unique thing about the family is the future facing purpose. Now, individuals, we can be holy, right? We can do righteous things. We can be righteous. We can be the kind of people that God wants. The point of the family is to direct that holiness into the future, So that it doesn't end with us. So that it doesn't die with us. That God is being glorified in our lives. Yes, hooray for us. We want to do that. Biblical thinking, biblical manhood, womanhood. We're going to talk about uh, biblical work. We're going to talk about lifestyles. Several things we're going to talk about in the series. The unique perspective of the family is the perpetuation of that holiness. To continue that holiness into the future, into future generations. Now again, I want to reiterate, we're going to talk about how you fit into that goal, how you fit into that function. If your family is not in the sort of traditional mold or the, the mold that the Bible talks about in a lot of these passages, we'll talk about how you fit into that. But rest assured, you have a play, part to play in that. This, of course, begins with the marriage relationship, which Jesus solidified, right? We, we see that in Genesis, and there's teaching about it in the Old Testament. Jesus solidifies this, expands on this in his own teaching in Matthew 19. Uh, we're going to read... The first part of this this week, Matthew 19, 3 through 9. Next week, we're going to expand on the next few verses in Matthew 19 because there are some interesting things that Jesus says about those who don't fit into this next week. Matthew 19, verse 3. The Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to for di- divorce one's life for any cause? He answered, have you not read? You kind of see, I don't know. I really wish I knew how Jesus was saying this. You know, sort of scholarly, academic. Oh, have you not read? Or is it more like passive-aggressive? Are you dumb? Have you not read this? Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two become one flesh? So they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And they said to him... Why did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? And he said to them, this is the real kicker here, because your hardness of heart, because you weren't good enough, because you were unwilling to hear it, because you were unwilling to do it. Moses gave that to you. But from the beginning, it was not so. There was an intent, a purpose here. And so I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. We're not going to go deep into that right now, but... The idea here that Jesus is driving at what? There is a purpose to this. There is a purpose for the family formation and the idea, of course, that this begins with the marriage relationship. Biblical families, the ideal that God presents in Scripture, is founded on this relationship between the mother and the father, the man and the wife. That they have joined together. They have become one flesh. And this is the way that God intended it to be. And so we think about this in other verses, 1 Corinthians 7, 1 and 2. Some frank discussions of sexual matters. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. Because you guys can't keep it in your pants. Isn't that what he's saying basically here? Right? You guys can't can't keep it together. You got to get married. Pair off. Right, you're going you're to express this desire that you have, this sexual urge that is in you, for a good reason, the perpetuation of the species, right? Be fruitful and multiply. That was the point at the beginning. So now we've got this in us. And like every, literally every other part of human existence, what is the devil going to do? He's going to take the good thing that God gave us, the ideal thing that God put within us, and he's going to twist it. And he's going to pervert it. And he's going to corrupt it. And so what is Paul saying? Yeah, God gave that to you. And it's great within this context. So get married. Each of you have your own husband, your own wife. And then in part of that relationship, you're not just doing that for your own satisfaction. It's not just about you being able to satisfy your urges. There's a deeper meaning to this, right? Ephesians 5.22 Wives submit to your husbands, even uh, as to the Lord. The husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and as himself his Savior. We've looked at these verses over the last two weeks. Now, as the church submits to Christ, also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And then, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. In 1 Corinthians 7, it's very much about the personal aspect, right? I have this desire, so I'm going to get married so I can express this desire. In Ephesians, it's about the other person, about what I am doing for them, how I'm relating to them. That it's not, the marriage relationship is not just about me, it's about this other person. And how am I fulfilling God's intended desire for me in relating to them and being with them and helping them? And so as we considered in the last two lessons, right, God's intent for men and women enable and create the kind of family structures that work best for humanity. Remember the thesis. Human life flourishes most when it operates the way God intended. Why is that? Because he made us. And he knows what's best for us. Men who take responsibility, they protect and provide, they create structure. Women who are modest but not passive in their love and care for those who are under their purview. God created us to operate this way. From the very beginning, men and women becoming one and creating new life. Now, there's a host of reasons, again, why people find themselves in situations other than this. We'll talk about those again more next week. I want to consider that. I'm just throwing that out there. I've not forgotten that. But we're thinking about, again, what is God intending for us? So God's intent for the family. This extends beyond, and this is where we get into the problem of the nuclear family. The mom and dad and the kids living in their own isolated bubble, that's a relatively modern thing. That's, for most of human history, that's not how we operated, as a species. That we all sort of had our own isolated nuclear situations atomized and separate from the rest of our family. First Timothy 5.16, If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened, so that it may care for those who are truly widows. Proverbs thirteen twenty two A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, not just his own children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. Deuteronomy four nine, we read this already, right? Take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. This idea that we've sort of become more isolated and atomized in technology and, and part of it is, you know, you can probably put this into like four or five different major buckets of technology that affect this. The big one is transportation. That's the huge one. Because now I can have relationships with people who are 500, 600, 700 miles away. Used to be I couldn't do that. Used to be that it was just impossible. Not to mention that if I had to wanted to go to a place, I actually had, I, I appreciated Lee's point here. For most of human history, if I wanted to go to a place, I had to either walk there, or I had to ride a horse there. Or I had to do some other thing that was very much more burdensome. Now we've atomized, we've separated, right? We've, we've divorced ourselves from our family situations, because we can, because it's easy. And then of course the second part of that is communications technology, that I can keep in touch. Previously, if you wanted to have relationships with your extended family, what did you have to do? You had to be where your extended family was. right? That's what you had to do if you wanted to have relationships that way. For most of human history, that's how it was. And so a lot of the passages in the Bible that relate to family concern not just the immediate man and woman and their kids, but extended a generation each way because that's how people operated. And that's how this formation of holiness persisted, not just in the first generation, but very carefully in the second generation. Putting this all together then, I hope we see one overarching theme, and that is this. God created the family to facilitate the future continuation of the human race, and more importantly, the future continuation of holiness. When you view the family as an engine of holiness creation all of God's instructions about the family come into focus because that's God's primary concern with the family it's not just the perpetuation of the human species although that happens it's about the perpetuation of righteousness from generation to generation that's the point of the family is to continue to create holiness in humanity Beginning with the importance of spousal choice, right? This idea. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. What partnership is righteousness with lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? That's in 2 Corinthians 6.14. Because again, the point of the family is not just to satisfy myself. It's not just to satisfy what I want, but to satisfy a higher set of ideals in perpetuating holiness. We even see this in how the church is a whole. We think about how the church should consider the family... Hebrews 13, 4, let marriage held be honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Again, what are we thinking? That in the church, we're not just considering our own situations, but as a general principle, we're thinking that families are good. Marriages are good because they enable future generations hopefully to be holy and righteous even the frank discussions of sex and sexual temptation is an aspect of family holiness creation what does he say you can't keep it in under control so yeah get married so that you can express that desire in a holy way that the husband and wife are allowing one another to express that desire in holiness so let the marriage held be honored among all Let the marriage bed be undefiled. That we are forming families so that not only can we perpetuate holiness in the next generation, but so that we can help each other be holy now. So that the husband and the wife, they're helping one another be holy. So that the children and the parents, they're helping one another be holy. So as we consider God's intended function for the family, the question is simple. Does your family operate in a way that each member is brought closer to God? That's a very simple question. Complicated to answer though, right? As we think about the relationships in the family, the various relationships in the family, between the husband and the wife, wives submit to your husbands, husbands love your wives, some difficulty in those commands there. The point of that is what? What? That the husband and the wife will help each other be holy. That's the point. That we're going to help one another be righteous. Be what God wants us to be. Children and parents. Of course, for parents, the responsibility of this is more serious. I think about Gideon and Gwen. Guess what? They're not responsible for me being holy because they're seven. Well, Gideon's seven. He doesn't have that yet. Now, someday he will and I think about my relationship with my own parents and why this is so vital that it expands beyond our traditional understanding of the nuclear family to a more all-encompassing view of family on earth because now what am I able to do? I am able to help my parents be righteous. I used to not be able to, but now I can. And how many people do we know of? Maybe in this room, maybe people that you know in your life. That they became Christians and then they converted their parents. It went the other way, right? It went the other way around. Because it's not like we grow up and then we're just sort of isolated from our family. We're continuing to help in perpetuity help one another be righteous. Parents, this is of course most apt for you. As you think about your children, I think about my children. Am I teaching them? The things that will help them be holy. It's good to teach them to tie their shoes and to read and write and to know how to play with other kids. And, you know, those are all good things. But I can teach them all the things about being a functioning member of society and miss the most vital thing. To teach them how to be a vital functioning member, not just of society, but of God's church. And if I've missed that, if I've missed that, then I've missed the point of families. If I do not do that one very important thing and teach my children to love God and why they should love him and what he's done for us and what he's doing for them. And so the question, if you are in a situation, again, we'll talk about this more next week, You find yourself in a situation that for one reason or another doesn't fit this mold. Doesn't fit this ideal that God has presented for families. There's instruction for you. Good news. God has not forgotten you. He knows. And really more generally, we can say this about Bible teaching in general, that there's really two sets of Bible teaching. There's Bible teaching about what God's original intent was, and then Bible teaching about what happens when we mess it up, right? Those are the two parts of Bible teaching. So we'll talk about that more next week. But we still offer the invitation as we conclude. You're thinking about your purpose in the family, your purpose in your immediate family, your extended family, and then, of course, most broadly, the church family. You don't know where you fit in. You don't know how you can do this. You don't know how to make this happen. How do I create holiness in my family? Come ask. Let's talk about it. Let's have a discussion. So that we can enable one another to be righteous, to be what God wants us to be. Beginning, of course, with the first individual decision. To become holy yourself. We know what that entails, right? To repent of our sin. To confess him. To be immersed. To to turn away from our old life and be united with him in the the burial of his death that we do in, in baptism. And then you can start doing that with your family. Start doing that with your children and your parents and your cousins and your nephews and your aunts and your uncles and whoever. If you're ready to do that, come while we stand and sing.